0: the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that opinions all are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law sensitive topics are discussed discretion is advised
1: on this week's court tv podcast we'll cover the tragic story of orson and orrin west two young brothers reported missing in december of 2020 and now believed to be dead allegedly murdered By their adoptive parents, Trizelle and Jacqueline West. Court TV's Chanley Painter joins me to talk about what was learned when the parents were charged.
0: This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinny Politan.
1: Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. This episode, I want to introduce you to a story that you may not know, uh, but you should know about. And this is a case that comes to us out of California, uh, a town called California City, known as Cal City. And back in 2020, I've been reporting on this for over a year, but it's still, for, for some reason, I don't know why, this story was flying under, under the radar. I, I, and I don't understand it. Uh, because back in December of 2020, there was a report of some missing children, um, Oren and Orson, were their names, Orrin and Orson West, two little boys, three and four years old. Okay, tiny toddlers. And I and and kind of gave them the name, the Cal City toddlers. And they were brothers. But they weren't just any brothers. They were adopted brothers. So they were part of a of a, of a new family. Uh, a young couple, the Wests, uh, Jacqueline and Trazelle, mom and dad. Um, a youngish couple, but they adopted these two little boys. They adopted two other children and had two biological children. So they had six kids all together. And, um, you look at that picture and like, wow, uh, these parents are amazing, right? You're young you, 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 and they don't have a ton of money, but you're, you're adopting children and you're, you're taking children who are in a compromised situation in foster care. And then, um, Raising them as your own. And then tragedy strikes this family because in December of 2020, the parents called 911 reporting that their two boys, their two youngest boys were missing. And uh, it was shocking. And again, a little bit under the radar. Might be because of where it's coming out of. You know, Cal City is is like a town outside of Bakersfield. And Bakersfield is not the biggest city in the world either, but this is like outside of Bakersfield. And the parents were, were speaking about it and everything else. So um, it's a case that we've been following for more than a year. And, and it began with that, with the search for the missing Cal city toddlers. And I want to bring in a uh, court TV legal correspondent, Chanley Painter, uh, who's joining us. And Chanley, I wanted to get your, your first impressions of, of this of this mystery, right? Because I, I started covering this case and this story as we've got two missing children out of this a small town in, in California.
2: Vinny, this is a heartbreaking story. I mean, you just look at the pictures of Orson and Orin, three years old, four years old, and your heart just goes out to them. And what struck me about this case is that they're missing. At three and four years old, the story the adoptive father is giving is that he left the back gate of the backyard open. He goes inside for a little bit and the boys just disappear. And I start, you know, watching video of what this, what Cal City looks like. And it's the winter. It's December 20th. And these little babies, they wouldn't go that far. So immediately, of course, I think something is wrong. Something is up here. And I think that instinct also was with the authorities who took this missing children's report as well. And it just spun from there.
0: Right.
1: And you and you uh, approach it initially. You're wondering, well, what could have happened? Right. And to me, there's a couple of factors here. The first is you you describe the area. I mean, it is flat. It is desolate. These are small ranch homes, um, good, hardworking people in the neighborhood. The houses are a little spread out. So everyone's got a little bit of land. But they're very modest homes, but it's very flat. It's like you could, like if someone was coming down the street, you would see them. And his story was that he was out because it was cold. He was out getting some wood and he was like chopping wood, like just across the street. And to me, okay, so you left the gate open. The kids are playing in the backyard and maybe they got out, but you're just across the street. And it's two. That's what makes this so different than most stories, right? If you're talking about an abduction, someone here would have to abduct two children at once, three and four years old, and dad, while he's outside, sees or hears nothing.
2: Nobody saw or heard anything, according to the authorities. There's a neighborhood. They lived in a subdivision. There's homes, like I said, not too close together, but there's neighbors. And even when the police started canvassing the neighborhood, these neighbors claim they never even they've never seen these children before orson or in west so that's also concerning um even with the helicopter search overhead with infrared and in a file five mile radius they don't have any sign of these two babies and the story is just not adding up with the adoptive parents
1: now the the parents during the course of all this search early on held a press conference and it's fascinating to watch you can go to the show links and you can you can, you can click and and watch it for yourself. But it's fascinating to watch because it's, again, a young couple. Remember, this is December of 2020, so we're still in the midst of COVID. They're in California. They're even more heightened uh, regarding COVID there. So they're wearing masks the whole time. And uh, you can't see their face, but you can see their eyes and you can hear them. You see their body language and they're answering questions. So this is the mother speaking first, uh, Jacqueline, and... Again, they're surrounded by members of the media. But remember, these are adopted children. Also in the audience are members of the biological family who had gotten word that the children were missing. Let's take a listen.
2: They do not just roam around. You know, these patches, they definitely, I think definitely would have been picked up or something. Mm, mm, mm.
1: Uh, You know. And I don't know what to chalk it up to, right? This doesn't, something doesn't sound right to me. Um, but again, they're a young couple, right. uh, Chanley, which was the other unusual factor mm-hmm. here. Such a young couple with not a ton of money would adopt all these children have, and there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's great when people adopt mm-hmm. children. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're, it's, it's angelic to do that, but it's, it, it struck me as unusual because they're so young and they had these six kids and then, just the demeanor of of the mom there and the dad during this press conference.
2: It was awkward to say the least, uh, especially like you mentioned wearing the, the mask uh, during this press conference. And it it we see a lot of uh, parents in distress, right, in the work that we do. I didn't see a lot of emotion coming from them with the press conference. Yes, they're pleading for help to find the family, but I'm sensing more emotion coming from the extended family, you know, the biological side of the family, the extended adoptive side of the family. And the tragedy here, yes, we need more people that take in foster kids and adopt children in America. And this is, you know, they're in their 30s, early 30s, of the West, and they have two of their own, like you said, two adopted. And then these two also adopted, just adopted uh, about a year before this happened. And so it's, it's, really you know good for them for doing that but it's it, this is something that possibly many could have been pre- prevented had maybe the system or something looked into um the placement of, of these children and i think that's really weighing on the minds of a lot of people right now
1: it, it absolutely is it absolutely is I, and you know six children is a lot of children and they're all young they're all young i mean it is tough enough uh, for folks, when, you know, when you have one child, it's like, oh my goodness. Then you have two, you're like, all right, one of us can handle each one. Then once you get above two, you're playing zone, but you've got six. You don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. Six young ones, four of them adopted. It. To me, that um, makes no sense. It makes no I've seen uh, families in, in the past, and usually it's it, it's older adults who have, raised their own family and they start adopting a lot of children and sometimes they'll adopt a mixture of older and younger children and they do in- incredible work um but that wasn't this situation they 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 didn't have the experience they didn't have the the means i i i didn't understand the whole scenario let's take a listen now uh this is the father trazel and he is, he is now addressing the issue that everyone is thinking at this moment. Like, like well, you know, how do two, not one, how do two children just like vanish? Take a
3: listen. That's understandable. I would think the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly the point. And if we can find our, find our babies, then guess what? That's, that's no. And that's all I want is to find our babies.
1: And there he's questioned about, you know, people looking at the parents. Weird, weird, really strange. It's even stranger when you watch it, uh, when you watch it happen. But to me, the way they were talking, there wasn't, I've spoken, uh, Chanley, if, if you just give me a moment here, one story, because this one sticks in my mind, because to me, it was so real. There was a, uh, a young father, had a little girl that was missing, And you know, same thing happens. People look at the, at the parents, they look at everyone. And I got this guy on my show while his daughter was missing. And as I'm interviewing him, I'm saying, wait, where are you? He says, Oh, I'm calling. I'm on an ATV right now, searching for my daughter. The guy hadn't slept in two days, had not, and it was dark and he hadn't stopped searching. There was this incredible desperation at that moment. I knew this father had nothing to do with it this is how you would do anything and everything he he was searching at the same time he's getting the word out that his daughter's missing by talking to me on the phone to me it was it was it really it struck such a chord because that's how you envision a father or mother would react when their child is missing and that's what he did and it turned out unfortunately his daughter was abducted uh molested and murdered by a sex offending neighbor of his. And that's that was the sad ending to that story. Um and for that search. But I knew in two seconds of speaking with that father, he had nothing to do with it. I'm just getting a different vibe here, Chandley.
2: Yeah. Well Vinny, you know when the massive search, I mean, for Orin and Orson West, a massive search was undertaken. Uh, many agencies, helicopters, volunteers. At one point, it swelled to 200 volunteers out walking in this desert-like terrain, trying to find any sign of these babies. And But the parents, the adoptive parents were not out there, Vinny. In fact, they were telling the media that the police had told them to stay at home, to stay inside. But their extended family out there trying to search, the biological family out there trying to search, people donating money for a reward for any information into what happened to an and Orson up to $120,000, almost like everyone else was out trying to find them, but their actual adoptive parents.
1: Yeah, and the whole, I've heard that line before. Um, yeah, I don't think that father I spoke to I don't care what law enforcement told him to do. There was no way he was not searching for his little girl. And that's, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's, it's, if you truly are the, the, the parent, the, the one who loves that child more than anything else, you know, the child um, that you either chose to adopt or bring into this world, the, the bond should be exactly the same exactly the same and you would do anything or anything and literally move mountains and no one's going to tell you to stop. Cause I've spoken to other parents like that as well, who've lost adult children, adult children who are missing and, and this father left his job, moved across the country and for six months has not stopped looking for his son for six months. And we didn't see that here. You mentioned the biological family. The biological mother uh, did speak. She did speak, um, and I know the rest of the family as well has been very involved in the search. Let's take a listen to
0: her. If they find my kids, can they just give them back to me? Whatever I have to do to work on it to get them. Um, I have a home. I have a car. I have a job. I. I have money is nothing to provide for them. I don't come. I come from a good background, as you can see, and I don't understand. I just want my babies. If they find them, just give them back to me, please. That's all I want.
1: And when you hear that. Contrasting with what we just heard from Trezell and Jacqueline. The adoptive mother and father. The mother and father, once you adopt them, it's it's like you you are the you are the parents. I mean, the contrast could not be greater to this tragedy of two missing children.
2: Right, Benny. That's what we just played is what you expect to hear from a parent who has a child missing. That emotion, that pleading for the public's help, and it's such a stark contrast to the adopted parents uh, that were giving a press conference with their mask on their face. And it's so, I mean, it's so heartbreaking because you think that the, you know, the biological mom and dad, you know, they entrusted the system. They were taking, these babies were taken from them for safe keeping Vinny and they weren't kept safe.
1: So during the course of this search, some of the things that happened, uh, there was a, a search warrant executed in the home in Cal city where they were living. And then we were getting updates, um, you know, through the, through the years, I guess, because it started in December 2020 and and updates trying to figure out, you know, what's the status of the investigation? What's the status of the investigation? And they apparently have spoken to 120 people. They've issued subpoenas. They've searched. They've searched. But uh, the bottom line to all of that is, is that uh, these boys, to this day, have not been found. They've seemingly disappeared. And that is... That is unsettling, unsettling. And and go, let's go back again to the parents' view on all this, which is that it, it had to be an abduction. So there's two ways that plays out, right? There's like the person, the creepy person driving through the neighborhood. This is around dusk when they're disappearing, by the way. It's it's a l- late in the afternoon, and then by the time they call police, the sun is starting to set because I've seen some security video from neighbors and, and such. Um so that's that's part of of the story is 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 when it was all taking place. It was right around Christmas. Mom said she she was inside wrapping Christmas gifts. Um, but because she was wrapping the gifts, put you know, let the kids go outside and play, even though it was a little bit cold to be out there. So the one scenario is, again, the creepy guy or or gal or couple driving through the neighborhood and luring the kids into a car. But looking at the geography of the house and the yard and where he was, I can't imagine how that could happen without him seeing it or noticing it. It, To Mm -hmm. me, it would be impossible for that. It would make no sense.
2: Right. right? I mean, it it
1: made no sense.
2: It doesn't add up Benny. It doesn't. And I think the investigators immediately recognize that looking at the neighborhood, checking out the story of the parents and just the age of these kids. I mean, three years old and four years old, you know, okay. Maybe it's like they would have, talk to a stranger, even though parents, they don't talk to strangers and something would have happened. But this is a neighborhood, you know, there's people out, it's around Christmas time, uh, people have family visiting, something would have been seen. And these days, you know Vinnie, there's a lot of home security videos, doorbell cameras, anything yes. uh, that would have led these investigators to think that they could have been kidnapped or the parents story maybe would have made sense, but there was absolutely no evidence of any of that or really any crime scene. And and that's also striking to me. And I know that we've we've learned that the Bakersfield police actually took over the investigation at one point. And that's interesting to me as well, instead of the Cal City investigators. So there's a lot we still don't know.
1: Now, the other possible scenario would be that there was an abduction by a neighbor. So it wouldn't require a car, Mm -hmm. right? A neighbor kind of stalking it out, seizes the moment. Uh, maybe even uh you know can lure the kids into their home very quickly so there's no vehicle uh, and and that never panned out either but to me that was to me that was the only other possibility here based upon the parents story because i I just did not believe that this isn't a busy city street it's not even a busy suburban street there's if someone's come down the street you would notice it they'd be picked up by one of many of the uh ring bell and and Uh, security cameras in the neighborhood. And I think with two children, if one gets grabbed, the other one may say something. One one of the two is going to say something, scream, and they were described as rambunctious. They were actually described by their parents as rambunctious. So how easily could one person or two people scoop up two rambunctious kids, three and four, without dad noticing anything? anything while they're all outside at the same time
2: it's it's so unlikely and you know you look at statistics of you know missing children in the national center you know for missing and, and exploited children they keep statistics. it's so rare Vinny, that there is this sort of abduction right it's less than one percent of the missing you know 30,000 children that there are that this actually does happen it's an unlikely scenario to begin with and you know I'm with you, I can't think of any other possibility with today with security cameras, with investigators canvassing the neighborhood, looking for leads, interviewing people, that there's anything else that could have happened, but to point the finger towards the adoptive parents.
1: So when we come back, we're gonna hear from the district attorney, a huge development, a huge announcement in this case. We will break it down
0: piece by piece next.
3: that the investigation has revealed that Oren and Orson West are deceased. The investigation has also revealed that they died three months before their adoptive parents reported them missing. However, I am pleased to announce that this week the Kern County Grand Jury indicted Trezell and Jacqueline West, the adopted parents, for the murder of Oren and Orson West.
1: That is the Kern County District Attorney out in California making the announcement that Trezell and Jacqueline West, who adopted two little boys, have been indicted for the murder of those two little boys, who they reported missing out of Cal City. In December of 2020 and there was no sign of them and and now after speaking to dozens and dozens and dozens of witnesses executing search warrants and then taking the investigation from Cal City to Bakersfield California what's the significance there let's bring in court TV legal correspondent Chanley Painter Chanley, you alluded to this in our first segment that the investigation that started in Cal City, the search for Orrin and Orson West, really ended up in Bakersfield, California. Mm -hmm. That is so significant in trying to piece together what happened to these two boys.
2: It really is, Vinny, and it may explain why the investigators in Cal City didn't find a lot of evidence at that home where the toddlers allegedly missing from, I mean, huge revelation that the prosecutor believes that they died three months earlier than when they were actually reported missing in December of 2020. But she goes on to say in that press conference that it was about a week after the boys were reported missing, that she gained some crucial information that came to light that brought that involvement of the Bakersfield uh, Police Department, which is where The West previously lived, Vinnie before moving to Cal City. So they moved to Cal City in September 2020, which was the month that prosecutors say these babies were murdered. And so Bakersfield took over this investigation, I believe it was last March. And like you said, it was a massive investigation to interview a lot of people, search warrants. And they aren't really revealing much more about what they were able to discover, but they were able to convince a grand jury. To bring charges.
1: Right. And in that announcement, let's get to the first thing. The the investigation reveals that the boys are dead. They have not found the remains or bodies of Orrin and Orson West. So to me, this is a fascinating um element to what this investigation revealed. I mean they've got some evidence that the boys are dead and they believe it's evidence that they can prove beyond any and all reasonable doubt. So where, where does that evidence come from? In, in what form? She wasn't able to reveal it, but again, it all goes back to Bakersfield. It goes back to Bakersfield and all the people um, that they've interviewed. And, and one of the things she said that really stuck out to me was she said, we have circumstantial and direct evidence Whenever I hear the word direct evidence, I zoom in. I'm like, "Oh, direct evidence, right? This is what defense attorneys are always crying that the prosecution doesn't have. Well, d- there's only a few kinds of direct evidence. There is um, an admission, a confession, right? That's a direct evidence because I was there. I committed the crime. I'm admitting to it. That's direct evidence. There is um, a eyewitness testimony, right? Which would be someone saw the actual crime committed. Okay, so I witnessed the murder of these children. That would be direct evidence. a videotape, direct evidence, right? Someone records it and you you see it. so now everyone becomes an eyewitness to it because the video uh, recording is direct evidence. Um, I don't know what other kind of direct evidence uh, they could potentially have so so i'm wondering I'm wondering if there was an admission, maybe not an admission to authorities and law enforcement, but perhaps some sort of admission by Jacqueline or Trazell to a third party about what happened. And that would be direct evidence.
2: For sure. And that's a possibility. You know, you know, while the authorities aren't releasing the details, obviously, and the information has been sealed. If you look at this indictment, Vinny, it sheds some light, especially because it alleges aggravating circumstances, and they're really concerning to me. Uh, If you look at some of the aggravating circumstances, it actually alleges that the defendants induced a minor to commit or assist in the commission of the crime and threatened witnesses or prevented dissuaded witnesses from coming forth or interfered in the judicial process. So, Vinny, I'm reading this going, they had four other children, right, who may have seen something, heard something were told not to say something is that the direct evidence
1: this is is troubling on many other many many levels if those other children were somehow part of all of this and subjected to all this i was hoping when i heard that announcement that okay something happened to these two other children but maybe the other four even though it's it's you know eight people in one little house Um, I'm hoping that maybe they, you know, weren't subject to it. They weren't witness to it. They weren't a part of it. But the, as you mentioned, this indictment seems to indicate that there's a a very good possibility that the children may have been exposed to something or been involved in something. And that makes the tragedy uh, even worse here.
2: It really does. I can't even fathom. I mean, the aggravating, it goes on to say that this is a crime and murder that involved great violence high degree of cruelty, viciousness, callousness, Vinny, and was planned out according to these aggravating circumstances with sophistication or professionalism. Uh, it's, uh, my mind is blown by what these babies may have suffered in those final moments before their lives were, were taken under this uh, indictment and what it alleges. Uh, so, it's just so so
1: sad. And there's a little and the one part I don't follow with the indictment is is that it's planned out, it's cruel and everything else, yet they're not charging them with first degree murder. There's no mm-hmm. they 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 don't believe at this point that they can prove premeditation.
2: Right.
1: So I'm wondering like, what I'm I I'm trying to picture the scenario. Is it a scenario of just um torturing these children and then they die as a result of the torture and and how could that happen again everything is times two right right you're tort and this is a bizarre uh, conversation right now but if you're we but we have to go there because we're trying to take the facts and match them up with the law here if you are torturing one child and they die as a result of the torture. Okay, I didn't intend for them to, I didn't intend to kill them. I didn't plan to kill them. I just planned to torture them. Okay, whatever. Sorry, so I get it. No premeditation. But, but, it, but it happened times two, right? So, so would, would they have died simultaneously? But if, as, as soon as one dies, then it's got to like be a, a, a light bulb over your head that the other one, if you're doing something to the other one, Uh, that other one's going to die as well, which to me then brings in this premeditation.
2: Yes, you're exactly right. Because I'm reading this in Diamond Vinny and that aggravator of the planning and sophistication is only for Orson, right? It's not for Orin as an aggravator. So maybe Orin was the one who died first. They knew what they were doing when little Orson maybe stepped in or what? who knows what happened. But it is interesting to me that Aggravators under each of these counts are not the same for each victim, which is telling.
1: Which tells me they have some very specific evidence. Mm -hmm. Very specific evidence. Let me ask you this. You know, we talked about direct evidence. Could it be so sick that they recorded this evidence on video? You know, we're covering another story out of Florida. And again, involves kids. I don't understand these people. and I believe this was an adopted child as well who was kept in a box in the garage, locked in a, in a box that was built. And these are people who have millions of dollars, by the way, they build a box in a garage and they had a surveillance camera there. So they were recording everything that was happening inside that box. I wonder if it's something sick like that, that they, they put, they put tortured this kid in some box and had a, a because all this surveillance stuff, everything is very inexpensive, easy to do. Maybe the direct evidence is, is, is video. I mean, that would be sick. That would be absolutely sick.
2: Absolutely unconscionable. many. Uh, I can't even imagine the monsters that these parents would be to videotape anything like this. And I don't know, though, if that was the evidence of this prosecution, I don't think it would have taken three months to indict them. I don't think it, it would be first degree murder. I don't know that the evidence is that strong, but we do this every day where it wouldn't surprise me that there are, there's real evil like that living in the world.
1: So now let's get back to the upcoming trial and, and we'll see when it happens. Could happen relatively quickly. We shall see. Um, but here's the D.A. addressing the question. This happens all the time. It's a case where you have missing children. No body has been recovered How on earth are you going to prosecute this, D.A.? Well, she answered the question.
3: As I explained in my earlier statements, no body homicides are tried all the time. And we have evidence that was sufficient to convince the grand jury. And we have sufficient evidence that we believe will uh, convince a jury that they are not alive. And we have evidence.
1: She's confident. She's confident. And And these cases are not as unusual as, you know, members of the media make it, but it is an issue. It's an absolute issue, right? Because you've got to prove first that the person is actually dead. When you've got a body, that's much easier. It takes two seconds inside a courtroom. But here, you've got to prove almost a negative that this, these children are no longer alive. And you've got to convince the jury that they weren't abducted, that someone isn't holding them in, in a box in a basement somewhere in Cal City.
2: Right. Right. And it's totally doable. Like she said, she has every right to be confident in her evidence, circumstantial evidence. And this jury, you know, when there is a trial, will be instructed that they should weigh direct evidence the same as circumstantial evidence here as they consider all of it. And so it's very possible. It could be, you know, I don't know what they have yet. I I wish I could read this probable cause statement, and all the reports, it's exactly what evidence they do have. But we, we know it's a lot because, again, they called 50 witnesses in this grand jury Uh, Investigation, three months of evidence, and no doubt in the prosecutor's mind that they are deceased. Where else would they be? I mean, it's common sense almost if you think about what the evidence is and what a three year old and a four year old could have done or where they could be.
1: I agree, 1000%. And and like you said, unfortunately, it's not a situation we don't see uh, here on court TV. We see it way, way too often. Um, So we're going to continue to track this case and every development in the case. But while we have Chanley Painter here, um, we started this whole thing off talking about the reaction of the parents of missing children. And it, and it takes us back to another story that goes back even further involving two missing children, um, one of whom was adopted, by the way, un- unbelievably. Um, we're talking about a Lori Vallow Daybell her husband, Chad Daybell, the so-called doomsday couple. And when Lori's children were missing, um, the reaction was even more extreme than this couple. For Lori. What, what was Lori doing while her children were missing? Just remind the people at home.
2: Right, Vinny. Oh, let's go back to Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell. In Hawaii, getting married while her children are missing. Also, uh, you know, just at a beach resort that probably you and I can't afford to stay there. At least I couldn't afford to stay there, this Hawaii Beach Resort. And even when confronted by media and police asking, where are your kids? Where are your kids? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not out searching, not out looking, not answering questions, not pleading for help. They're in Hawaii. On the beach.
1: With a bag of money. Oh, yeah. Which they had gotten from the death of Chad's wife and the insurance money. They kept it in a bag. Unbelievable. So uh, what's the latest in this case? Because we've been following and tracking this uh, from the beginning as well. Uh, Where exactly are we in the trial against Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow Daybell right
2: now? Well, Lori Vallow Daybell's case has been put on hold almost a year now. I believe it was last March that a judge ordered... Her to be evaluated. And she's been deemed unfit to stand trial. So she is actually being treated in a mental facility in Idaho. But her co-defendant, her husband, Chad Daybell, his pretrial hearings are moving forward. In fact, he has three different pretrial hearings this month alone about some motions and the trial date. Is set for January 2023, Benny. But again, Chad Daybell is trying to sever his case because he doesn't want to wait until his wife is confident to stand trial. He does face the death penalty uh, for the murder of Tylee Ryan, J.J. Vallow, and of course, his wife, Tammy Daybell.
1: All right. Well, we'll continue to stay on that one. Uh, unbelievable story. And when that trial happens, folks, um, the best coverage will be right here on Court TV. And Chandley Painter will be leading it all from Idaho for us. Chanley, thank you so much. Great to see you. Thanks, Vinny. When we come back, folks, uh, we're going to get back to the Cal City toddlers. And if, in fact, these parents are factually innocent, I'm going to explain to you why it would be the easiest case ever, ever, the easiest case ever to win. And you could do it in about five minutes. I'll tell you how next.
0: Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area.
1: So, if the parents of Orin and Orson West the Cal City toddlers, are factually innocent, that's a big presumption I'm making here, factually innocent, not that prosecutors can't prove the case, not that they're not guilty in the eyes of the law. No, if they are factually innocent, if they did not kill their children, this case can be won in less than five minutes inside a courtroom. Super easy. In the indictment, and you have to go to the indictment, I'll read to you, from count one, and it's the same for all the counts. On or about September 1st, 2020, through September 30th, 2020, Trezell West and Jacqueline West did with malice aforethought murder Orson West, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The key to this is on or about September 1st, 2020, through September 30th, 2020, okay? The prosecution is laid out when these children were murdered, okay? You are the parent of a three- and a four-year-old, okay? I don't care how little money you have. Everyone's got a cell phone, and everyone who has a cell phone has a camera. And if you are, in fact, a loving parent of a child, and you've got a three- and four-year-old, there is no way, There is no way on earth that you did not take a picture of your child for three months. There's no way. There's no way. That's impossible. That's impossible. I mean, go, and if you're not a parent, right? If you're a parent, you understand exactly what I'm saying. But if you're not a parent, go talk to someone who's a parent of a child who is four years old and younger. And say, can you look at your phone? And take a look at the the, the photo roll in their phone. And you will see dozens and dozens and dozens of pictures and videos of their children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then, if these children have, I don't know, grandparents, check their phones too. Check my phone. I fall in that category. I'll show you how many pictures I have. I'll show you how many uh, pictures have been sent to me by my daughter of my granddaughter. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of pictures. That's all we do now. (laughs) We take pictures of our kids all the time doing everything. So, Trezell and Jacqueline West said that these children disappeared on December 20th. Just show me one picture between October 1st and December 20th of those children anywhere in Cal City, anywhere on earth, for that sake. A picture taken by you, any member of your family, anyone. Are you telling me that you don't have one picture of your children who are ages three and four at any point for the last three months? Impossible. Impossible. That's the easiest case in the world to prove. I mean, you, could, you could say it in your opening statement. <laughs> you could put the picture up in the opening statement. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you heard the prosecutor and, 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 and her story about what happened to my client's children. Let me show you a picture. Oh, there's Halloween 2020. There's Orin. He's dressed up like, uh, like, oh, oh, I don't know. He's, he's a, uh, what? what is that? He's, a, oh, look, he's one of the characters from the Wizard of Oz. He's the Scarecrow. Oh, and look at his brother. He's dressed up like a clown. That's from Halloween. Oh, here's Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, we had Thanksgiving with the family. Oh, there he is. There's Orin. He, he's eating his corn. And Orson is throwing his corn. Right at grandma. Come on. Come on. Three and four years old, the things they do, the things they say, hilarious. Hilarious. Amazing. That's why you become a parent, <laughs> to enjoy those moments. And, and, and everyone walking around with a phone when one of those moments is happening, boom, you snap a picture. First day of school. Oh, look at that. Or, or oh. It's it's so-and-so's birthday. It's Their brother's birthday. Their sister's birthday. Grandma's birthday. Come on. Not one picture. You don't have one photo of these twins. Because that's all you need to prove your case. That's all you would need. They allege these children were killed in September. You have a picture from October 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 31st, any day in November. Any day in December, did you take him to the mall to see Santa? I know it was COVID. By the way, how many more pictures did we take during COVID? When we're locked down in our homes with our families. Come on, you know how one picture from Instagram throwing a funny filter on Oren? Common sense. Common sense. Such an easy case. Such an easy case to prove if these parents are factually innocent. All right, folks, that is it for this week on the program. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We do it every week here. Uh, Also have a TV show that's on every night at eight o'clock Eastern and then repeats eight o'clock on the uh, left coast as well. Um, So in order to watch it, you can go to courttv.com. tv.com go to the find us tab and you can find uh there's a big map of the united states you click on your state and you figure out uh where we are broadcasting your town your city also if you have a digital antenna scan it rescan it to find court tv check out my show eight o'clock every night check out chanley painter as well she's reporting uh from around the country all the biggest trials each and every day right there in your front row seat to justice Uh, That is it, folks. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Vinnie Politan. Have a great week. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids.
0: This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.